Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. And as you're making your way to, your, to a seat, I, I see ushers back there. And we are still in the book of Ephesians, but if you need a Bible this morning, of course, we put the scripture on the overhead, but uh, if you'd like to have a copy of the scripture in your hand, and maybe you left yours at home or in the car, um, just wave at one of the ushers, guys in the maroon shirts, and they would be happy to pass, pass the Bible to you. Once you have it, or if you already have your Bible, or you turn on your Bible, um, Ephesians chapter 5. Is where we're going to be, verses 15 through 20. Ephesians chapter 5. We're also going to look at another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll look over there, so if you want to go ahead and find it, you can. They're generally in the same area of the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. All right. I want to read this text and then we will, and then I'll set it up for you where we're going today. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How many of you enjoy expressing yourself in the written form. You like to write. How many of you like to do that? Okay, quite a few of you. God bless you. I do not. <clears throat> I, uh, I am a visual thinker and a verbalizer. I like, to vi- I like to see it and speak it. And I'm kind of wired that way. But I have great admiration for those of you who communicate well in a written form. It's not that I can't write. I, I have the skills. I can write. I know the alphabet. And I know how to put the words together. <laughs> My hand. I know how to do it. But I'm not energized by doing it. But I have thought about, because sometimes through the years different people have asked me to write down certain things. And, and I've had a thought if I ever were going to write something, if the Holy Spirit was ever going to have me write, what would it be? And I believe that the first book I would ever write would be on a subject that talks about the tension in Scripture. Let me say it another way. The Christian life is full of paradox. Things that don't seem to fit together. Things that don't seem to match up. It's taken me a long time to understand that. Um, like most people when we're younger, I'm very, I was very black and white, uh, very idealistic. Everything I had an answer for. In my younger days, I may not have always been right, but I was never in doubt. Um, I always knew I was right, even if I wasn't right. Do you get older and things begin to throw you a little bit? Things cause you to stop and ponder and think, Lord, these two don't seem to match up. These don't seem to be consistent. They don't seem to go together. 
Scripture is full of examples like this. For example, we are saved by what? Faith alone, right? We all know that. Grace alone, faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. Nothing else. Ephesians, matter of fact, the very book we're in right now, Ephesians 2 tells us, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works. That way nobody can boast. But James tells me that faith without works is dead. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther wanted the book of James taken out of the canon of Scripture because when he began to understand grace out of Romans and out of the book of Hebrews, and then he read James, he thought they're too contradictory. James shouldn't be here. No, yeah, it should be. You've got things in Scripture. It says that we are to be truth-tellers. That Jesus is truth. His very nature is truth. We should speak truth. That Satan is the father of lies. And so anything that has to do with lying and deception and manipulation should not be part of our lives as believers. We speak the truth. And yet the scripture is very clear that if we speak truth without love, we're like a clanging cymbal. Like, we're like an irritating noise. We're like fingernails on a chalkboard. There's these tensions in Scripture. I had one this week in my email box. On the same day, I received a praise report from someone who has been battling cancer for years. And this week got a clean bill of health. A miraculous diagnosis. Right underneath that email, I had a second email about someone else who's part of this church that we've, been, we've prayed for many times who has struggled and been in pain for years. And right now that pain is increasing and they don't know what to do about it. And we have prayed and we have cried out. We have anointed with oil. We have done all these things. So I've got in my email box at the same time this situation where we're praising God. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your work. And on the other hand, I've got, Lord, why not here? Anybody else ever wrestle with this stuff? Why not here? Lord, you did it here. Why not here? What's, and then we start trying to figure out, well, what was the system or the process we did over here? So maybe if we duplicate it over here, we'll get the right pattern down. We'll get the pieces in the right place and the combination will open up. There are paradoxes, things that don't make sense. The scripture that we just read this morning has some. There's another passage Paul talks about these paradoxes over in 2 Corinthians. Look at that passage with me real quick. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he's talking about, he's saying these two things are going on. These, these opposites are happening at the same time. On the one hand, there's through honor, but then there's also dishonor. He said, I'm walking through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters and yet are true. As unknown and yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. Look at this last verse, verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Wait a second, Paul. If you have nothing, how do you possess everything? I'm telling you, there are challenges and paradoxes in this walk with Jesus. And if you would say, I don't really think that's so, I, that would tell me probably one of two things about you. Either you have not walked long or you haven't looked hard. Because if you have walked long, 
and paid attention, you have seen paradoxes. You have seen things that don't make sense. They don't seem to come together. And you have that in this passage. And it's interesting to me that on this end of an era Sunday, when God's taking us into a transition and new schedules and all those kind of things, that he would bring us to this passage today. His timing is always amazing to me. Look at the passage again with me. I want to show you a few of these contradictions, what appear to be contradictions in this passage. In verse 15, he says that we're to look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? There is a, an alertness, a vigilance, a warfare mentality in these verses. Paul says, pay attention. You're at war. We're at war. There's an enemy. There's a lot going on. You need to be vigilant. You need to be wise. You need to be analyzing and scrutinizing. You need to pay attention. Wake up. The verses right before this, wake up, O oh sleeper. All right, so there's, there is this wartime mentality. And then we go down, look with me in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody of the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that sounds like peacetime. That doesn't sound like wartime. That sounds like peacetime. That sounds like a whole different scenario. And in these few verses, I'm told, wait a second, be vigilant, be alert, pay attention, recognize you're at war. And then right after that, hey, sing songs, have a merry heart, give thanks to God and everything. Lord, these don't seem to fit. Paul talks about evil days. Let me give you a couple, just let's dig down a little deeper in it. In verse 16, he says, the days are evil. But in verse 19, he says, giving thanks for everything. So the days are evil, but give thanks for everything. Paul understood evil. In Galatians chapter 1, he says, I'm praying for all of us that we be delivered from these evil days. He talks about in chapter 6 of Ephesians, we're going to get there. He spends a long time talking about Satan and demons and spiritual warfare and the fact that we have an, an adversary who is formidable. And he's going to talk about that at length in chapter 6. So he recognizes there's a battle here. He's, he's experienced it. He's gone through it. He's experienced it in his own life. In Romans 7, he gives this testimony. The things that I want to do, the good things that I want to do, I don't do. And the bad things, the evil things that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. So he's got this own, his, his own personal testimony. is this struggle that's going on, this fight, if you will. And then over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about this chronic ongoing malady in his life. We don't know what it is, but we know it's severe enough that it hampers him. And he prays repeatedly, Lord, would you remove it? And the Lord didn't. He said, I've got something better for you, Paul, than taking it away. So Paul understands the days being evil. When he writes, give thanks for everything, he's, it's not with rose-colored glasses. He's not coming. I mean, this man has been shipwrecked and stoned and put in prison. He understands the evil of the day. In the midst of the evil of the day, he says, in everything, give thanks. For everything, give thanks. Seems like a contradiction. Let me show you another one. So we've got evil days, give thanks for everything. By the way, Nothing has changed. We still have evil days. And as believers, we give thanks for everything. Amen. 
The evil days have not gone anywhere. They're still out there. Sometimes they're right here. Let me show you another one. He says, look carefully. Watch. Um, if I were to use different English words to help us understand this, analyze, scrutinize, study it, observe, pay attention, dig deep. This is all wrapped up in this idea of look carefully. It's, it's an intellectual kind of scrutiny. It's it's using my mind and my intellect and my understanding and, and all these things that I've learned. I'm, I'm applying it to what I see and what's happening around this warfare that's going on in the evil days and all that's taking place. I'm not happy-go-lucky and not paying attention. I, I recognize it. I see it. I'm, I'm watching it. I'm looking at it. I'm trying to compare and say, Lord, how does this fit with this? He says that in verse 15, but then in verse 19, he says, making melody to the Lord with your heart. There's a, an exaltation. There's a joy. There's an emotion. There's, there's just happiness. And again, it seems like two contradictory ideas. Studious, intellectual, digging deep, figuring it out, and then just this happy, joy, exuberance. And it's like, Lord, they don't seem to go together. And yet the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to have both. By the way, little observation and admonition from your pastor to you. My experience is that most of us tend to go one way or the other in this analyzing or being analytical or being exuberant. We tend to lean more one way or the other. Most of us do. And if I tend to lean more toward being analytical and study and, and digging in and all, I sometimes can have, for lack of a better word, a disdain for those who seem to be so exuberant. Almost as though, well, if you knew as much as I know, if you were as observant as I am, if you studied and, and compared and did all the way, you wouldn't be so exuberant. Right. And so there's a disdain for that. Those on the other side who tend to lean more to exuberance can have a disdain for those who go deep. Those who dig in and compare and analyze and look at. I want to tell you that either place is a weakness, not something to be bragged about. What the Lord's saying right here is he's saying, I want you to do both. I want you to go deep. I want you to look at stuff. I want you to think about it. I want you to analyze. I also want you to be exuberant and joyful. I want your heart to overflow. Let me say it this way. It's not enough just to understand the theology of salvation. I need to continually be overwhelmed by the fact that I am saved and expressing that. 
Do you see how they go together? It's important. I need to understand the theology of salvation. I need to be able to explain to you the theology of salvation. You need to be able to explain that to people. That Jesus, and it doesn't have to be, you know, the way anybody else does it. But you need to understand the basics of how you came to Jesus Christ. That you were lost and undone in your sin. Jesus died for that. He revealed that to you. You believed it. You received it. You accepted it. And he changed you. He fundamentally changed you at the deepest level. This is the theology of salvation. But I don't want to get so deep in the theology of salvation and the study of salvation that I am no longer overwhelmed at the fact that I am saved. That my heart overflows with that. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. So you've got to have both. My experience in church, and really Christian ministry as a whole, is that we find certain things, certain ways that we tend to be bent, things that come naturally to us. Whether that's analyzing and studying, whether that's exuberance and expression, or any other things, and we tend to congregate with people who are like us in those things. And then we create our little group, and we don't grow past that. We don't grow past it. Because here's the challenge. I can live the natural. You know one of the verses, Lori brought it up yesterday, I think, or day before we were talking about this because she's reading a book. And this verse came up in John 15 where it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That verse has always bothered me. Because I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, I don't mean to disagree with you, but I can do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff I can do. And... Anybody else ever had that thought or am I the only rebellious one in the group, all right? Lord, I, I know what you say and I know what you say is true, but I can do a lot of stuff. Let me show, I mean, I do a lot of stuff all the time. <laughs> that verse in John 15 is very similar to a verse in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11 where it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For all who would come to God must believe that he is. Now that's a weird verse. Why in the world would you come to a God you didn't believe existed? That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. He's not saying that we have a problem believing he exists. We have a problem believing that he is God when it doesn't look like that he's God. That's what we have a problem with. We have a hard time believing that God is good when he doesn't look like he's good. We have a hard time believing that God is present when it doesn't feel like he's present. You must believe that God is when it appears that God isn't. The same is true in John chapter 15. It's not that we can't do anything. We do all kinds of stuff, but most of the time we do it apart from him. So we can't do anything that he would do apart from him. I can do all kinds of stuff that I would do. You can do all kinds of stuff. And so if you are bent, if God's given you certain intellect or he's given you certain study skills and analytical capabilities, you have a natural bent toward that. You don't necessarily need the Holy Spirit to do that. You just do it. What you need the Holy Spirit for is to go deeper than that, to go further than that. Or if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're exuberant and emotional and, and, and exultant, you know, you're, you're exulting and, and all that God has done and all that he's revealing. And yet, uh, that's study stuff. It's too dry. It's too boring. It's too, too, too much head stuff. 
Scripture says they go together. I remember years ago, I think it was Jim Simbel I heard, that says if, if we have the Word without the Spirit, we dry up. Amen. If we have the Spirit without the Word, we blow up. But if we have the Spirit and the Word together, we grow up. Amen. You want to know my vision? I don't talk about vision a whole lot because it's hard for me. This is me personally. It's hard for me to start talking about vision without my flesh getting involved. And then I start thinking about what my vision is. And I lose sight of, God, what are you doing? So I don't talk about vision a whole lot. But if I were to share with you this morning my vision, what I long for, what I'm made for, what God has been developing in my life over the last 30 years, it is to walk with a group of people who understand what it is to have spirit and truth. To have them both functioning together, growing up in both. That there is, there is expression and there is enthusiasm and there is emotion. Emotion's not a dirty word. We were made emotional beings. It's not a bad thing. Without truth, without study, it can get out of balance. But truth and study without any emotion, it also gets out of balance. God putting them together. Analytical and yet exuberant. They go together. Evil days, giving thanks and everything. Let me show you one more. There is, in all this, where look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Again, there is this vigilance. It's like, we got to get things done. I got to, time's running out. Time is short. The Lord could come back anytime. And even if he doesn't come back, we're getting older and we're only going to live so long. There's a, there's, a, there's a sense of urgency and vigilance. And then I jump down here and it says, giving thanks always and for everything to God and the Father in the name of the Lord. And right before that, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in my heart. There's a vigilance, and yet there's a peace. There's a purpose, and a, purpose, a purposefulness, a moving towards something, and yet not so driven and wound up that nobody experiences peace around us. I spent much of my younger days being driven. I still can. I, I think my person, I'm kind of wired that way to be driven, to accomplish, to attain certain goals. Lori, when we got married, She's not as driven that way. Not that she doesn't have drive and things she wants to come, but we're just, we're different. We're made different. And sometimes she wanted to stop and smell the roses. Who's got time to smell roses, all right? If they happen to be there when we get old, we'll sniff them then, all right? Again, I was young and foolish, all right? Who's got time to do any of that stuff? And so... 
wonderful woman that she is, she comes alongside and really adapts in many ways her life to be more driven, more let's accomplish more, let's do more, we're always going, we're always doing the next thing. And we get about 15 years into our marriage and all of a sudden I look at her one day and it's like, do you have to leave? Do you have to go do that thing? And she goes, what are you talking about? I was like, I just like to sit and be together. And she's like, who are you? And what'd you do with my husband? We do change. We do grow. The Holy Spirit begins to do a work and say, it's not either or, it's both and. That I can still accomplish the kingdom purpose that God has for me without making everybody around me anxious and exhausted. On the other hand, I can still have sweet times where I sit at Jesus' feet or I just sit with people and I just relate with them and still have a purpose and plan. I can still accomplish things in life. The two are not exclusive. Do you understand? Are you tracking with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? If we don't wrestle with these paradoxes, I think we miss the joy of what the key to this text is. And we're going to get into it more next week. Because right in the middle of all of this, is this amazing passage which says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you and I are incapable of living this kind of paradoxical balanced life apart from the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. It's not hard, it's impossible. Samuel Chadwick, the old Methodist pastor said that. The Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit is an impossibility. You cannot do it. It's impossible. And next week, we'll begin to unpack what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? How do we do this? How do we keep doing this? We'll get into all of that as we go forward. But today, before we get there, you're going to have to settle something. I had to settle something a number of years ago. And when that change happened in my life, in mine and Lori's marriage, the Holy Spirit was taking me and doing things in me that were new, that were fresh, that I did, had not understood or encountered before. And to be honest with you, I think for both of us, we were a little apprehensive about what all that meant. I'll never forget, I was at a conference out in Texas. And someone I had heard speaking and had been challenged by in some ways at a distance, I thought, well, I'm going to go to the pastor's conference out there. But I didn't take anybody with me because I thought, if this thing is nuts and crazy, it'll just be me. You know, I won't have anybody else there that I'm responsible for. And so I didn't even take Lori. I just went, just went by myself. I call her one night and tell her what God's doing just personally in my own life and in relationship to the Holy Spirit. And she was so sweet. She goes, we don't believe that, do we? <laughs> And I said, sweetie, I don't know what I believe. But I do know that there's more that the Holy Spirit wants to do in me than I've been willing to allow him to do. And it began a journey. Now, everybody's journey in this isn't going to look the same. It's different. The Holy Spirit deals with us according to, to his will, not according to ours. He's got different plans and purposes. But one thing is for sure in all of our lives, when the Holy Spirit is filling, when he's overflowing, then we're able to live in these paradoxes and find that place of balance, that place of wholeness, that place of freedom. 
where I'm growing in the areas where I'm weak, where he's taking the things that I naturally could do in my own strength and he's tempering those things and he's causing areas where I normally would be very weak and he says, let me show my power in where you would normally be weak. Do you realize I never ever as a young man or as a child dreamed of talking to groups of people? I, did, I, I still don't really love talking to groups of people. That was never part of my plan. It was never part of my plan to be a pastor. I didn't want to be in ministry. They don't make any money. I wanted to go somewhere and make money. I never planned any of this. But the Holy Spirit does something in me each day that I surrender to him that fills me with purpose and joy and meaning that's unlike anything I've ever known in my life. Be filled. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's right in between all of this. Right in the middle of the paradox is the Holy Spirit. The left out one. He really is. I think Roy's the one who said it to me. We grow up learning about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. And for some of us, that was our experience. And even if we talked, I was warned in my younger days, be careful those people who talk about the Holy Spirit. You won't, won't get too close to them. Really what we're saying is, be careful those people who talk about God. He's God the Holy Spirit at work on planet Earth. At work in you and me. We're going to unpack this more as we go. Today, I believe there's one thing that the Lord's asking of me and of you. How much of him do we really want? Let me ask it a better way. How much of us do we want him to have? We get in theological arguments of how much of the Holy Spirit did you get? And did you get him all? We got him all, okay? He's not chopped up in little bitty pieces, okay? We got him all. But I don't think that's the question. I think the real question is how much of me did he get? How much of us is surrendered to him? That's the challenge. That's the daily challenge. I want to be in charge of my life. I want to do my will. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm not going to force you. But if you'll surrender, if you'll submit, I'll do something so miraculous in you, you won't even recognize you. You won't even recognize you anymore. I'll be honest with you. I look in the mirror, and part of it's because I've gotten older. But I look in the mirror. I don't know me anymore. The other day, Elizabeth, this was just in the last few days. Elizabeth goes, you know, Dad, it's been a long time since you got mad. And I thought, well, that's good and bad because I was known for getting mad. Um, that wasn't good. But it is nice that my children, by the way, when the Holy Spirit's doing this work, the people who will notice it most are the ones closest to you. Because we can pretend for everybody else, at least for a while. I can put on a show for you, but if you have to live with somebody, they know whether the Holy Spirit's working or not working. They see it. They're aware of it. I want you to bow your heads with me. Again, next week we'll start unpacking what all this means, but today... I just ask you, how much of you do you want the Holy Spirit to be in charge of? How much? How much are you willing to surrender? How much are you willing to let go? 
You say, Lord, you can have everything but my money. And you know where the Holy Spirit's going to go knock? On the money door. That's where he's going to go knock. He will not be interested in any other door in your heart except the money door. Lord, you can have everything in my life except my relationships and my dating, marriage, all of that. You can have everything but that. That I'm going to be in charge of. And so what does he do? He walks past everything else and says, what's behind that door? I believe this is the picture in Revelation 3, quite honestly. Because Revelation 3, in my opinion, was written to a church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking on the door of people who are supposed to already know him. He's saying, will you let me in there? And not just today. I have found that doors in my heart often are on hinges like old bar, back in old saloons, back in the old west. They swing out and then they swing back. I have found myself at the same door multiple times. And what I love about the Holy Spirit is his graciousness. He comes back to it again and says, I know. I know you closed it, you, you took over again, but I'm back and I'm willing, if you'll open, I'm willing to come in and fellowship with you to work in ways you can't even imagine. I'll transform, I'll change. I'll take what is natural and I will do the supernatural. That's who he is. But he's a gentleman. I am... I am sad to say that I have at times and I've been around those who have portrayed the Holy Spirit as a bully, as a crazy man, as wild and untamed. That's not the Holy Spirit. I know it can't be because part of, the, of what he produces in our life is self-control. How could someone produce self-control if he's wild and untamed? Now, I will say he'll lead you to places that may be wild and untamed. But he's gentle. He's gracious. He's a gentleman. Doesn't force his way in. He comes and he implores. And he says, I want to do something there. Bigger than you can imagine. Greater than you can even comprehend. I can tell you today, in all honesty, I am not exaggerating, this is not preacher talk. There is no area of my life where I have opened to the Holy Spirit that he has not overwhelmed me. Where he has done far more, far better than I ever imagined. Now, it doesn't mean it hasn't been without pain, and at times, sense of loss and misunderstanding. But it has always been far better. That's who he is. These paradoxes of life will mess you up until you learn to be constantly filled and overflowing with God the Holy Spirit. And then he brings it in perspective that you never had before. Do you want him in that way in your life?
Lord, today, I cannot answer that question for anyone in this room but me. But I answer it for me. Even all that you've done, I want more. I want you to have more of me. And I want us to be part of a group of believers that experience that. I still believe it's true that the world has yet to see what you're going to do through a group of people who live life surrendered this way. So Lord, here I stand. Holy Spirit, here I am. I'm yours. And in the areas where I want to where I want to keep the door closed. I want to hold on to it. Kind of like that picture this morning as we were coming in. and Cindy's on the inside of the door holding it. Lord, I do that in my heart. I'm on the inside of the door. As though I could keep you out if you really wanted in. Lord, I couldn't. But you're not barging in. You're not knocking me down. You're imploring. You're knocking. And you're saying, will you open? I'd love to come in. Would you open? Each of us today know where that door is in our heart. We know the situation. We know the things that we're trying to do in our own strength, in our own wisdom. And there this morning in our heart, you're knocking. I pray, oh Lord, pour out your grace today and that your people would respond. Open doors today. we close in a moment today's a little different day because we do have a picnic and fellowship time afterward but there are people who'll be around myself and their staff and there's prayer partners and leadership within our church and maybe there's areas where you're wrestling with a door maybe that picture helps you say yeah there's a door I'm wrestling with I'm still kind of holding it from the inside. I'm not willing to. I'm afraid to let it open, really. And maybe you just need someone to pray with you today. We would love to do that. We can stop. I mean, it's, it's great to have fellowship and food and games and all the things that we'll do. But it's our privilege and honor to go with you to the throne of grace. To find help and mercy in time of need. So we will do that today, even though it looks a little different. Before I close this in prayer, if you're one of our prayer partners, maybe one of our elders or deacons, one of someone in our leaders, would you stand? Just stand, all right? Just stand right where you are. Look around you, all right? Any of these people, you see them say, hey, I saw you stand. I could use some prayer. You can tell them as much or as little about what's going on in your life. They're, they're not nosy. They don't need to know all the details, but they'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. Thank you all. You may be seated. Lord Jesus, oh, thank you. Thank you that when you left Jesus, you said, I'm going to send someone. He's going to be with you, 
but even more than that, he's going to be in you. Jesus couldn't do that in bodily form when he was here on earth. So he spent, sends the Holy Spirit who cannot just be with us. He is in us if we know him, if we know Jesus that way. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that. Thank you that you have made a way for us. Thank you for the fact that you are continuing to make a way for us. Thank you for the work that you're doing and that you're transforming us from the inside and working our way out. Thank you, Lord. Help us. Help us in the weeks ahead as we talk about you, Holy Spirit. Help me. I want to portray you in honesty and accuracy and who you are and what you do. Lord, help us to understand and receive. Give us revelation beyond what we've had before. We commit ourselves again to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. 